Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You're listening to the Vitamin D Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Day, and I'm here to help you be your best self. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, I say welcome. I'm glad to have you on this journey of discovery with me as we shine light of new ways of being and thinking. And today I've been thinking about how many of us go through life with our eyes closed? Not literally, but in a more ethereal way. How often have you found yourself ignoring something that has been bothering you because you thought looking at it, sitting in it would be a sign of weakness? I know I have. I think it's human to not want to seem like you're wrong or like something's wrong. We all want to be perfect at some point in our lives. But what we need to understand is that while perfection is impossible, becoming better requires that we not ignore what's happening to and within us. That's why I'm talking to life coach and author Purvis Taylor, who is joining us to talk about his new book, Survival Mode. Young men across America are going through a crisis and have been for decades. The tendrils of toxic masculinity have wrapped themselves around millions and millions of young men, poisoning their relationships with themselves and those who they love. By learning to take responsibility for their situation through what he calls the four A's of survival, Purvis believes that young men can find a better, healthier, and more satisfying vision of manhood. In this episode, we talk about overcoming shame, effective communication, and how you can use the four A's of survival in your everyday life. So without further ado, it's time for your dose of vitamin D. Get your vitamin D right here with me and get excited about your life. Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you perfectly. You can see me? Yes, I can see you, Howard. H-U, okay, My Columbia. <laughs> no, um, I have a ton of friends that went to Howard, so. Okay. So you know the love yeah. is there. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm I, just trying to understand how come you didn't make the, the decision to go to Howard, Purvis. Well, you know, what happened was I ended up getting a, a full scholarship to University of Miami. And at the time, Will Smith had that song out, Miami, and that was like the deciding factor. I was like, I gotta go to Miami. Going to Miami, Miami. I was trying to figure yeah. out the rest of messed that up. <laughs> <laughs> what they say, Bimanita, I Miami. Right. I was like, Miami, Miami. Isn't that crazy yeah. how sometimes you'll hear a song and then you find out like years later, sometime a decade, like, dang, I messed that up a while ago. Yo, it happens to me all the time, especially listening to Tony Braxton songs. Because you, <laughs> you don't know what she's saying. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense with the song. Okay, yeah. Got it. <laughs> Purvis Taylor is here on the Vitamin D Podcast. Oh, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. How you doing? Yo, I'm amazing. I love yeah. your energy. Shout out to you. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a reflection of you. I'm so cool. excited about this conversation. Same here. Same here. Um, and just reading over, uh, you know, you're an author of an amazing, I mean, I don't know if it's appropriate to call it a self-help book, a self-help guide, or just a transparency. Mm. I don't know what, but it's called survival mode. Yes. And you're making me feel all warm inside. Because <laughs> when you know, when you have people in your presence that shed a light on a situation where we're so used to being in the dark about 
that affects yeah. the unit and the foundation of the development of a human being that is going to ripple down to affect someone else. Absolutely. Hey, that's something that's something that to get excited about. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I am so honored and humbled that people are responding to Survival Mode with the intent in which I wrote it. You know what I mean? And that it's really transforming the lives of men. And, you know, so many men are now who've reached out to me who I don't know. They're like, Purvis, I'm in therapy now because of this book. Or I've apologized to my, my baby's mother because of this book. So it's it's really like I can't even put into words how much how grateful I am that that people are really responding to it. Well, I'm sure that whomever is sitting here and they're listening, they're like, well, what is the response about? Come on, tell us about you and, and tell us about your book, Survival Mode. So about me, I am, my name is Purvis Taylor III. I am an award-winning celebrity life coach, speaker, and author of the book, Survival Mode. Um, I've been a life coach for 10 years. Uh, I, I love what I do. I love helping people to get to a space of thriving and wholeness. Um, my book, Survival Mode, is written specifically for men of color, but it applies to everyone uh, it's a book that so so let me backtrack so with trauma in life we tend to do two things we either build a house and reside in it or we build a bridge to help us take us to the next place that we need to go to in life and what i wanted to do was create something that was going to build a bridge for men who i knew were struggling with their traumas who i knew were struggling with their emotions and, and, and mental health um and so the book is that so hence why I call this survival. So I'm taking you from surviving to thriving and the book being the bridge. So the book is, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a quick read, as you know, it's a quick read. And um, it's really steeped in transparency about my narrative and, and the narratives of men that I've actually had the privilege of walking through the process of survival mode and getting them towards a place of wholeness. So it's really about helping men to um, find language to process their emotions, to really deal with their mental health issues and empower them as such. And so when you're speaking about these young men and who's ever listening, what are they sort of thriving through? Man, it's so many things. So for me, I still thrive through molestation, having a father die of a heroin overdose, um, being homeless, being emasculated and bullied. So many things in my life. Um, for, for some of the men in the book, it was the loss of a parent, um, loss of a mother or father, fatherlessness or just low self-esteem or just just whatever, just, you know, as human beings, men were human beings. And I think sometimes black men were human beings. I think sometimes people forget that. And so just whatever transcended trauma that human beings experience, black men are experiencing. So it's those things that they are surviving through. And I like how you said that because, you know, just growing up in an African-American household and, you know, one, if there's not one disparity of a man not being there, and then like you said, a man not able to be a human. A feeling to having to take yeah. care of everything. You cannot express emotion because it's weak. And then also this whole thing that there's a sense of shame and and whether, like how you said, whether it's the death of a parent, whether there's somebody that is homeless, whether it's molestation, whether it's hoarding, it's a thing where we don't let other people in our home. Yeah. And I thought it was so magical. And before I jump too far ahead, what I love about this <laughs> book is that. We're talking about wounds that took place, right? Yes. And in order for yes. a wound to heal, you have to air it out. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the most powerful part of it. You know, I always say to my clients that only what you confess can be healed. Mm. And, and so one of the things, the reason why I shared my narrative is because I wanted brothers to know that they're not alone and that I'm not better than them. I'm not, I haven't arrived. I just may have a little bit more tools in my toolbox than they do. And I want them to have the tool, the tools that I have in my toolbox. So it's really, and, and really teaching them, you know, I say in the book, so I have four A's, the four A's of start mode, and they are acknowledgement, acceptance, articulation, and alchemy. And what you're talking about, the air and out part, that's the acknowledgement. And, you know, I always say that Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful because every single meeting that they have, they say, my name is Purvis and I'm an alcoholic. So there's a power in airing out. There's a power in addressing. There's a power in acknowledgement. And that's the beginning of any breakthrough. Mm. And it's so interesting. Look, wait, why am I getting so excited? Let me calm down. <laughs> I'm about to jump through this uh, screen. <laughs> and the thing that's so interesting, and I think that when we talk about the healing process, and like you said, um, hearing it out, is that for that breakthrough, sometimes you got to break in order to get through. And that means yes. sometimes you got to go through those pieces to put together your picture, your mosaic. Where it's Absolutely. uniquely uh, filled with so many colors that isn't depicted on what your view is. So as we talk mm-hmm. about one of the first A's and we talk about acknowledgement, tell me what life was like growing up for you. Man, I always say I had like this interesting dichotomy because I had like parents that were so supportive and, and, and really, you know, empowered me every day and told me that I was amazing and I was destined for great things. They were right. However, well, you know, at school, you know, I was called punk, faggot, sissy. I was called all types of names. I was emasculated. I was told that, you know, women would never find me attractive or, or you know, I was just, it, it, it was just interesting. And so my trauma response to everything was that I achieved. So like I made straight A's. I was in the honors and gifted program. But inside, I literally would cry every night thinking about all the things that people would say about me. And, and questioning if it was true or not. Um, and also then added the, 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 the layer of being actually molested and feeling like your manhood is taken from you and feeling emasculated in that way um, and really not really having an outlet to talk about it. It was definitely stifling. And I, and I look back sometimes and wonder, like, how did I make it through that? Because I didn't have anybody who I, who I felt safe around to really just even share about it because people couldn't identify And I think it's interesting that you say that because it's one of those things where people don't talk about. And it's like it's it's in the room. Clearly, uh, just like anything it attracts, you start to surround yourself and it's thinking about the healing process. So who molested you and what was that? How old were you when this process began? I was seven and it was a friend of the family. And it was, and, and, and the qualified wasn't a, a continual thing. It was, it was a one-time thing, but it was one time was all this to, to throw you off. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was seven years old. And then I think the added layer of people calling you names kind of exacerbated it. That carried with me through high school. Did you tell your family about this? Like, what was that like? Like, this happened. How did you know that it was wrong? I knew when it was happening that it was wrong. But um, I didn't say anything till I till my father died. Like I suppressed that um, when I was twenty four. So when my father died. That's when I remembered everything. 
that was happening. So I was an adult at that time. So I, I wanted to make sure that I, I worked through it before I told my family uh, what was happening, what it happened, what it happened. I think it's interesting that sometimes men, and I feel like that, or even women find shame when they are victim to sexual molestation is that Absolutely. you start to question who you are and whom you're attracted to. Mm-hmm. In the course of that, because again, this conversation is more so to talk to anybody who is feeling this. Like there's ways, yeah. and I feel like even 2020 this year, I don't think it's by mistake that your book is about this and just just things that are circulating. I, I You know, and it's getting right. the vision and seeing what it is and what it is not. And I didn't say this before, yeah. but one thing about vitamin D, it's all about shedding light. That energy that you felt... I yeah. want that exude and I got to understand that even in my healing. So in this whole process, we're shedding the light on the good, the bad, and the different. It's going to be uncomfortable. I know I've put myself Absolutely. into that. So I wonder, was there ever a situation where after you got to the process that you acknowledged it? And um, mm-hmm. now the process and when your father passed away, uh, that's another A. I don't know if that moves to articulation. But what I'm wondering is, is that... What was the impact that it had on you about whether or not it was questioning who you were? Did you find yourself attracted to men? Did you feel dirty when a man was around you? Were there uncomfortable situations in the locker yeah. room? Yeah, there were definitely all, all of those things. And you definitely look at yourself and you're like, I, I, I think one of the things I come to understand is like today at 40 years old, I understand that if a woman finds you attractive, she finds a man attractive, there's, there's going to be men who find that same man attractive. Right. So I understand that now back then at 24, I did not understand that. And there were definitely situations in locker rooms where you'd be like, Oh, what is happening? I got to leave. You know what I mean? Like and you could sense that some stuff was about to go down. Um, I definitely, I don't know if I necessarily say that there was like a full on attraction to men, but I, the thing that I, I will say that I was attracted to was the seeming confidence and surety of who they were and, and, and the power of that masculinity, which they, they rested in. That was what I was attracted to more so than I guess, um, I want to be with this guy. I never felt that, but I definitely felt this like they had something that I didn't have, if that makes sense. From my knowing, and that's why I said this conversation, from my knowing of who I am dawn to this age, because like you said, sometimes we can bury things. Yeah. From my knowing, I've never been sexually molested. But like uh, my sister has worked in this field for so many years and she talks about how, you know, you can bury certain traumas. And how things can trigger things. You don't know why you're acting, you're doing what it is that you're doing. And it's like if somebody had talked about it, whether just, you know, sweeping under the rug like in which you discussed or something Mm -hmm. that you looked at as a shame. It's like, wait, you're a child. One, why are you having these conversations? Two, why are you feeling these things? Not maybe in some instances where it's wrong, but the more important question I always wonder is why. And so when you say like, hey, they had something that you did not have. Well, in my ignorant opinion, and I use that lack of knowledge, I would think so because something was taken from you. Right. And then also on the other side, not necessarily. You mm. know what I mean? Like, I had some things, I, I, I recognize this, and I say this to all my clients that no one is more ill equipped, they're just more ill informed. I just wasn't informed of, what, of the things that I have inside of me. Like, 
I have the gift of transparency. I have the gift of being resilient. I have the gift of being vulnerable. I have the gift of being comfortable in my skin, no matter what you think about me. You, you know what I mean? Like those are the things that I, that I possessed during that time, but I didn't know that I had it. Wow. And it was through the process of me going through those stages of surviving mode unconsciously, but consciously and, and recognizing that I did have it. And I think like how you said, it's like, sometimes you're in a room and you don't even know that the lights are off until right. they're on. And you right. can't tell me that I'm not seeing because I'm telling you what I can see. And so that's what I want us to do with the Thrival Mode today. I need to flick the switch. I had some people, I made an announcement on my weekend segment on the Steve Harvey Morning Show and people were coming in the DM like, oh, what's this book about? And I'm like, you're going to have to tune in. They don't have to tune in. So as we're talking about you guys to the place of acknowledgement, let's just dive in a little bit more about the importance of the four A's and, and, yeah. and, and what that process looks like. As, as you know, the beginning of a problem is stating that there is a problem. So that's the acknowledgement, right? That's the saying like, okay, even if it's not verbal, but it's something inside of you saying like, you know what, there's something that happened or there's something not working or there's something that I need to address. Right. So that's the beginning of it. Right. Then the uh, acceptance. And can you can you relate this to your life? So for me, it was like when daddy passed, it was I acknowledged that there were some things that I hadn't addressed and that I kind of have held hostage for a long time, because at that time I was working at Def Jam. I was signed to Wilhelmina Models and I was just focused on succeeding right because i feel like success would get rid of all those things that i'm holding hostage right um but when he passed away so suddenly i started to acknowledge that there was some brokenness inside of me and i was like i don't know what this is specifically but there's some things that are not that are not happening that are not working what was happening were you not showing up with your friends were you crying like you know what? I had a breakdown, a nervous breakdown on the train in New York City. I literally um, came back from his funeral because I didn't cry. And I told my family not to cry. And I literally was riding home on the train, listening to my disc man. That's how I'm dating myself, my <laughs> disc man. <laughs> and I was, think I was listening to a song by TLC. And I think it was a song that they, that they did for Left Eye. And it was just one line in the song and I literally just started crying and I fell on the dirty train floor and I lost it. And that was the first time in my life I've ever had a breakdown. The only time I've ever had a breakdown like that. And that's when I was like, okay, even though I, I, I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't gotten the clinical degree that I have now, but I knew at that moment, okay, this is the beginning of something. And so, and so once I started so once I experienced that breakdown, I said, okay, I need to really sit with myself and explore like what is going on. So I, I started to remember that, yo, people used to make fun of you. I used to remember that, um, that, you know, that person molested me. I remembered feeling inadequate. I remember sitting in my closet crying. I remember thinking about suicide. I remember all of those things. And so like, that was the acknowledgement for me. Then after I started to acknowledge it, I recognize, I read this book by uh, Beth Moore and it's called Get Out of That Pit. And that that book was so trans transformational as well as this book uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend It's called How People Grow. And one of the things they talked about was, you know, what I developed to be only what you confess can be healed. Mm. And so after I went 
to that, uh, after I acknowledged, I went to this place of acceptance, which was really, really hard for me because acceptance almost in some ways can feel like you're condoning what happened. Oh, but no, no, no. Huh? No, I said, oh, because I'm like, tell oh, me yeah. more. We got to go. Underline, so, highlight, bookmark. Yeah. So ex- acceptance can feel like you're condoning, but it's no, it's just saying that you're receiving that it happened. The last stage of grief is acceptance, right? This person is gone. This thing happened. I have to accept this. I have mm. to receive that this happened. I didn't want it to happen. I don't agree with it, but it happened. And, and that space is so powerful. And I think so many of us feel like that's a place of weakness, but it's a place of power. Mm. So for me, I had to accept that my daddy died over here with those, which I was completely embarrassed about, ashamed about. I had to accept that, you know, that I was struggling with my identity at the time. Identity as in? As just in every aspect, man, sexuality, every, everything, everything. everything everything at that time, like just didn't know who I was. Um, I had to accept, um, you know, like just everything in my career wasn't going the way I wanted to go. Like it just, everything in my life just was not what I wanted it to be at that time. So I had to accept that. And that was, and that took me a long time to do, but once I did it, it got me to a place of, of clarity and it got me to the place of articulation. Right. was able to identify those books I told you about. They said, you got to have a safe space. So I mm. identified one person who I felt could be a safe space. And his name is Ken. And he went to my Bible study. And I remember just telling Ken everything. How old are you? What's from the point of your father? So this is like 27, 28. Okay. So right after like a couple months or whatever. after your dad Yeah. Passed. So I, I, you know, I'm articulating. So I'm expressing with Ken like, and I've always been a good communicator. I've always been able to verbalize what it is I've experienced. And that's the one thing I do want to circle back that my father and mother allowed me to do. They did allow me to emote. They kept it to a minimum, but they did allow me to express what I was feeling. So shout out to Purvis and Jackie. God, God rest his soul. Um, so I was able to articulate what it is that I was experiencing, what had happened, everything that happened. And once once that happened, I felt this freedom lifted off of me. I felt this freedom lifted off of me. And, and I remember being at um, a Bible study one day, and Chris Burge, um, who was the Bible study teacher, said, he said, life happens to you, but life happens from you. Oh, wait, say it again. <laughs> life happens to you, but life happens from you. And when he said that, what, I had like a... Because I, I was focusing on what was happening to me and not what was happening from me, right? So I recognized that I had something that could happen from me, which leads to the stage of alchemy, right? Which leads to the space of purpose. You were emasculated for mo- most of your life. Now you empower men in their masculinity. How the hell did that happen? Mm. You know what I mean? How do you transform all of that pain all of that stuff that you've experienced in your life, how did you make it become something greater than what you experienced? And so that's, that's the, the space of mode. And I was just, and I see people and I'm so obsessed with people optimizing their pain. I just got to reading Mariah Carey's memoir and how all of her songs are about the trauma of her childhood. And now she's, you know, one of the most successful artists in history. She transformed that. And wait, and then you think about it, her whole, um, 
her, I want to say, image icon is all about being a butterfly. Yes, and that whole always. transformation aspect and being yes. uncomfortable because you're breaking through that pain and bl- and thriving yes. in your life. I'm listening. Yeah. So it, so it's all of that. So for me, the alchemy part is 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 my favorite part of it because it's like you know alchemy is really turning you know lead into gold. Mm. You know the first miracle that Jesus did in the Bible was turning that water into wine. And so like how did I? It's about transforming the water into a sweet wine. And so one of the things I had to do in that process of alchemy is forgive. I had to, um, I had to have a vision for myself. I had to believe that I was worthy. I had like that space of alchemy is comprising all those things, believing, um, receiving, surrendering. And I talk about that a lot in the book. We have to surrender. We surrender to the negative every day, but we don't surrender to the positive. If we're surrendering to the fact that these things happen to us, why can't we surrender to the fact that God already made a way for us? Mm -hmm. Why can't we surrender to the positive of of who we are? I had to dig and find the great things about me about purpose because now purpose today, I can walk in the room. You can't tell me nothing. You understand what I'm saying? But I had, that's because I really dug deep within myself and I had to find those nuggets. I had to find those treasures that everybody has within them, right? No one is more ill-equipped than just more ill-informed. So I had to find all of that stuff inside of me. And then I started to say, you know what? If I'm hurting, I don't want to see another young man hurt. Mm. I don't want to see another man hurt. And so that was the, the beginning of it. I don't want to see, I don't want another young man or another man for that matter, to go through what I went through. Or another human being. I want to help people to find their greatness, right? And so, like, that's how I became a life coach because I wanted to see people thrive. I wanted to see people be whole. I, I always do this exercise. I ask people, I said, if you could be, have a, if you were a superhero and you had a superpower, what would it be? And my answer is always, if I could touch you to see how amazing you are so that you could see how amazing you are, that would be my superpower. And so that was the it. Oh, Wow. Definitely like a gift that keeps on giving. And as you're talking about the life coach, it goes back to the whole idea of when you're talking about toolboxes, right? And, and you got to have your yeah. tools and pulling them out. Well, I think one of the key tools, and like you're saying, is finding that safe space, finding somebody you can talk to. But when you look in the culture, whether it be primarily African-American or men in general, it's taboo to even address that something maybe quote unquote wrong upstairs or your mental health is the question or the fact that you want to go to therapy. Why is that taboo? Why is this so bad? If you're sick, you're going to go to the doctor. If you broke a bone, you're going to have, um, you're going to get a cast. So if things aren't wiring and adding up, why aren't we talking about it? Well, you know, you know what it is. I think for a lot of us, we've never seen wholeness in our communities. Mm. We've never seen a whole person. We've never seen somebody thrive emotionally and mentally as well as financially, right? We've seen the financial aspect, but we haven't seen the human being aspect. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but I think, I think the challenge of that is, is that for us, I think to your point that you so eloquently stated, we equate mental health with brokenness of something's wrong as opposed to wellness and maintenance come on and i think that's that's the fine line right there no it's it's about maintenance you go to the doctor for a checkup you go get your car for a tune-up why are you not doing the same thing for your mental right and that's mental health is everything if you i've coached people i've worked with celebrities who've had millions of dollars right and they've said to me purpose i would give you all the money i have to have the peace that you have right now Oh, wow. And so the point is, so the money ain't, ain't it, 
it's the peace and the self-reconciliation. It's the, the self-grace. That's really what it's about. And so, like, I think for us, we need to have an understanding that it's not just about getting the bag. It's about getting peace. It's about mm-hmm. reconciling those issues and accepting and letting go and forgiving and, 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 and being a, a vessel to help others change. That's what Use about. me. Yes. Come yeah. on. And, and understanding if your sole purpose, just as if I think one of the, the principles when you talk about being a vessel, one of my favorite flowers are a sunflower. And I love sunflowers. Yes. Oh, that makes me sorry. Okay. And you know, you notice their sole purpose. Like one of the things they're known yeah. for is to help fertilizing something else. And when you talk mm-hmm. about life coming from us in whichever form, it is to reproduce, whether that be joy, whether that be a life, whether that be a creation of a building, whether that is to exercise the peace. Well, guess what? The machine has to be working properly. And I think oftentimes right. we forget to do, like you said, that tune in and that check-in with the machine. But then here's another thing that we're, we're looking at. In a society today where everything is about the perception, it's about the look, where is there room to breathe? And even in your book, and you spoke about this, you talked about a friend who, you know, um, on social media, they live in a life turned up, oh, boom, boom, oh, oh, get it out. But secretly inside, like you said, was broken. Tell us a little bit about that story and how that plays in society of this deception wall we build up. Well, that's, you know, we could talk about that all day. But this particular friend, um, he was married at the time and he and his wife would always put up these pictures. They were always like, yo, I love my wife. I love my bae. We in Dubai. We here, here, there, there, there. And offline, he'd be like, yo, purpose, like, I can't do it. Like, I just, I, I like, we're getting divorced. I, I don't like, I don't, I don't love her. I don't look. And, and I would say to myself, I'd be like, bro, but why are you creating this image for the world? Why? Like what, what's going on with you? And, and ultimately he ended up sharing that he had some, you know, that he had been abused as a child. You know, he had a father wound. He had a bunch of stuff going on at the time. Abused. Like how is this the same as molestation? Yeah, I think so. He, he didn't go into that much detail, but he did say that he experienced um, some abuse. And I and and I, depending upon their comfort level, I'll pry. But yeah, so I'm just assuming something happened to him that mm-hmm. altered his life. And I, I, I think there's so many people who are like that. I took a lot of time, like, don't let social media fool you. Don't let it fool you, because you have no idea. People, it's curated. People want you to think that they have it together. People want you to think they live in this perfect life. And that's just not reality. It's not. And and you talk about this. You talk about how sometimes, you know, we live in this world of delusion and how it's actually the opposite yeah. of acceptance because you've created another world that doesn't exist. Yeah. And that leads to narcissism, which is which mm. is very dangerous, you know, because narcissism, there's not really a cure or a treatment for it. That's something that you have to treat yourself for. And so that's the space you don't want to live in is, you know, when you do when you are delusional and you create these worlds, it does suit you for a time being. But then there's going to be a time when the reality, when it crashes. So that's, you know, that's something that has been coming up a lot surrounding me of, you know, whether it's looked at selfishness or narcissism, it's about 
let me make this image as long as it fits okay with me because I'm thinking about my well-being first. When we talk mm-hmm. about wellness and we hear this a lot, like being on a plane, make sure you put your oxygen on so that you can help somebody else. So mm-hmm. I, I can imagine there's a silver lining or kind of like a fine line of me loving on myself and then me being so narcissistic that I'm consumed with myself. Can you help right. me see between that? The thing about narcissism is that people don't understand that narcissism is, is typically a trauma response. It's a trauma response to feeling fragile or extremely insecure inside. And so what it is, you create this inflated version of yourself in order to survive. And, and so I think that people don't understand that's the undercurrent of it. But to that point of what you're saying is like so many of us are so enamored with ourselves. And I think that's because some, and I, I actually think that the largest scope is that the connectivity, the connection that we had as human beings, um, the accountability, like no one wants to be wrong. You know, like we're, we want to be perceived as perfect. It's, it's killing us. Mm. And so like that aspect of it, um, this is why you see so many people who are narcissists because we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to grow. We just want to be perfect. And I think that because we see manicured um, people on social media, we see these Instagram models who have these perfect manicured bodies and these guys who have these perfect rippled bodies. And you're thinking that that's it, but you don't know what's on the other side of that, what they have to do to maintain that. And so I think it's just true. It's so convoluted. I just think that it it trickles down into this. We don't want to have accountability. We don't want to own anything that we've done. We, it's just, we just want to look, like we have it together. Mm-hmm. We're just obsessed with that. It's very dangerous. So talking back with your friend from social media. So once he comes to you, he's like, Purvis, I can't take it. I got this wife. We're out here looking like we're living the life of our dreams. What was the point that he came to as far as the um, alchemy part? Because we, we did the, he accepted it or acknowledged it. So I'm not happy. Okay. Acceptance, yeah. it did happen. He articulated. Then he articulated. Yeah, he articulated. Then what happened after that? Well, I, I think it was apology towards his wife, um, to his ex-wife, and the space of like really embracing who he was and really being like an advocate for communication with men, like talking about those uncomfortable things. So like he now is he now encourages those conversations. He's now a person who is vulnerable, vulnerable enough to talk about the things that he did wrong with his marriage. And, you know, it's helping for other people, especially for young couples that are getting married. He definitely is like that guy. He definitely will tell you about his, how he messed up and how he didn't address certain issues going into his marriage. So I think that what he did with alchemy was like the ownership, the accountability and, and not being afraid to share with others. So at this point in understanding when we talk about this whole magical transformation state of the alchemy kind of stage, Mm -hmm. um, did it go into a place where he was able to be in another relationship? Did he find himself that he was in a relationship with a woman, a man? Like what was the, we get out of that, what transforms into that? And I I know, and it's not like the, I know it's like a touchy topic, but it's real because I feel like people, you know, I know friends, men and women that have questioned because of being molested as a child and leading to narcissism and everything else, depression and not being able to see. And it's like, let's call a spade a spade. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to that point, I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't, I didn't know you wanted me to go all the way over there, but no, he, he's, he's solid. He's good today. And I think that he does not want to be remarried, but I think he's open. I think he's open to 
love and marriage again, but I think he's more focused on really becoming who he's supposed to be and really developing himself and focusing on him, which I think is something, if I'm honest and knowing him all these years, he's never really done. And so like, for me, like, I feel like he's engaged in alchemy because now he's focused on him. He is, he would love to be married to a woman again. I think at some point he's open to love. I will say that. I don't want to misquote him. He's open to love again. Right. And I, I think that's so beautiful too. Just, you know, talking about the alchemy process because it reminds me, like you talked about on social media, we try to come up with this perception of it's beautiful and not really knowing what it took to get there. But if something has a value to it, right, there is a process it had to endure. Whether it be a tropical place, it's, it's storming all the time. Whether it's the beauty of that diamond, realizing over time what, as you may have said before, what was lead that turned to gold, but this coal that turned into a diamond. And I always yeah. say what allows a diamond to shine are the multitudes of cuts that have been placed within it. When you can walk Absolutely. up and say depression, molestation, uh, insecurity, failed job, failed promotion, and step into the light and say, you see me? I made right. it. And I love what you said because you said, even as you're talking about thriving and what you want people to realize is that the becoming that you said, I'm consistently becoming. It reminded me of Michelle Obama, but it reminds me to your story because what I did understand that you said you had the breakdown, right? But how did you know? I think you said your, your friend's name was Ken. How did you know that you could be vulnerable? How did you know that that was a possibility? Well, I'll tell you like this, for me, being a person who is emotional and recognizing that I, I am an emotional man, right? And I, I embrace it and I, and I own it and I love it actually. But when you, with the mind can't handle, it imposes on the body. Mm. And at that point, what the mind can't handle, it imposes on the body. I was literally getting sick. My hair was falling out. Um, I had hives, I was shaking, I had a twitch. I didn't like that experience. My mom always said, when you want to get off a roller coaster, you will get off. And so that was the moment for me. I was like, oh, nah, nah, nah. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what anybody says. Like having that anxiety in, in, in your body and literally when I probably should have been taking meds for it, having that level of anxiety, I was like, nah, if, I, if I'm if i listening to what Beth Moore and these doctors are saying, if I confess there's a power that's releasing it, I'm willing to run the risk of looking crazy. Mm. So for me, I wasn't afraid to look crazy. Because you have to save your life. I'm not here trying to save my life. I love that because I think that when we talk about society and today and how it is about putting everything on blast, you got to realize you got to protect your boundaries. Yeah. And you got to know your space, your capacity, and even understanding that space how much are you holding and how much are you necessarily carrying that is unnecessary? Because I feel right. like the more we put on, the more it is that we try to control. And one of the yeah. things that it just, even as I'm looking at you and even as you're explaining, like, you're like, I was going through this. I was like, and I was like, no, your body relaxed. There was, you, you exhaled with your voice. It's that whole thing of letting go because I feel like when we're holding on to stress and like what I talk yeah. about in vitamin D is similar to what Erica Badu talked about, even with her old track that was a hit. 
bag lady. It is going yes. to break your back. It will slow you down. And like you said, keep playing if you want to. You will be shut down on the get down. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I'm 40. I don't look 40 and I'm thankful for that. Right, because I wouldn't have known that. When you said that, I was like, okay, skincare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm 40 years old and I, have, and I have a youthfulness to me and I think that's number one God's gift for all the years of <laughs> the stuff I've been through. But also too, because I literally incorporate, I try not to carry stuff. I try not to suppress anything. Um, I try to really release stuff as soon as possible because I know the benefits of it. And also I know when somebody hasn't done that. Um, and, and I have to tell you this, like one of the most beautiful things that you could ever witness is seeing a, a grown man be so vulnerable and so fragile to say like, you know what purpose I've been in pain. I've experienced this. And now I feel so much free um, after I've been sharing it with my wife and sharing it with my therapist. And you can just see the, the calm on them something they probably never experienced in their life. It is one of the most beautiful things you will ever see. Peace be still. Yes. Yes. Peace be still. And I love that because I think it's survival mode. And immediately before anything, I was thinking of survival and I was, I was thinking, I was like, okay, how was this possible? Because I remember something that I, one of the things that I've always dealt with is my weight. And I remember watching the biggest loser episode and someone was like, I'm tired of surviving. I just want to live. But I think what makes it so beautiful, even with your title was like what you said earlier on about it being a bridge. And sometimes it's things that that's what is, it's not necessarily going over to escape, but it's just the means of a connection from one side to the next and not ignoring what the pieces, what the steps were to get from one side to the next, because we glorify the beauty of the ending result. We glorify the beauty of having that dollar bill without witnessing what happened to that tree and how that ink permeated and how it was pressed and put in the heat. But we just see the value, whether it be that, a diamond or home or what have you. I love that. And so, like I said before, thank you definitely with that. But when we talk about these young men, right, and we talk Mm -hmm. about the whole idea of tackling the mental health, if somebody is listening, you know, what is the first step? to even seeking out some mental support? Oh, man. I mean, there. so thankfully now there are spaces like therapyforblackmen.org that have, they have listings of therapists, life coaches, mental health advocates that are special, that specialize in working with young men of color or men of color. So I, I think that the great thing I think about 2020 today is that I think there are a lot of spaces in which we are now comfortable talking about mental health. And so I think the first step is finding somebody who you identify as a safe space. I, I speak at universities and organizations and teach them how to develop a mental wellness action plan. And I think one of the first things in that mental wellness action plan is identifying who, who are the safe spaces. Who do you feel comfortable with? Who do you feel like they can hold and handle what it is you have to say? Because that's the first step is getting a person into a space of sharing Right. Because that's what it is. It's not it's not telling your business It's sharing. Mm. And, and that's the first step is really identifying those people but, or that person who you feel is a safe space who can handle who can handle uh, and shoulder what it is that you what you're sharing. And so how do you show these young men that it doesn't make you not masculine? 
One of the first things I do is I tell my business. I tell them out the gate, you know, this is what I'm going through. This is what I've experienced. These are the, these are the vulnerable spaces in my life. This is what I've endured. And I do that on purpose because, you know, I, I, I train executives. I say, you know, transparent leaders create environments for sharing. So once I'm in there being transparent, I make it safe and okay for others to share. Mm. And so that's, that's what it is. I definitely, you know, that's my gift. I have no problem telling my business. I love that. Now be careful because you're talking to me. It's like, no, I'm just to, to, <laughs> to a limit. But you right. understand what I'm saying? I, I definitely go further than most men do. Absolutely. And that, that's definitely appreciated because that goes into the next thing I wanted to talk about as to the reason why we may not share uh, because we may feel uncomfortable is because this idea of shame. Can you tell yeah. me what this whole, I don't, I don't want to give it power, but truth be told, there is a lot. Just me being transparent. I am in a process of where I will say in a cocoon because what my shame is, is getting my home in order. My mother yeah. was a hoarder and I'm realizing because of depression and different things that she didn't deal with of covering up, you collect, you put things on top. Yeah. But then what happens is, is that you find other ways to cover up things. And I can see how I question things like, oh my gosh, and how you said that whole fear, who's going to put me on blast? Or it's that whole thing of judgment, but I'm trying to heal. So if I have to resource and reach out to somebody that has the tools that can put a vision that will put some fire under me, because can I take right. you here? Let, okay, you know, I'm going left. You supposed to be talking. Let me get this out real quick. <laughs> Early this week, and this is exactly what I love what you're doing. What came to me, I don't know if I was sitting here in meditation or whatnot, but I'm just thinking of how we, we put it out there. We want to grow and be more than what we are right now. And if you are a person of faith, whether it be in a religious or just something seeking higher above, I'm going to mm -hmm. use a faith-based moment. And you talk about God and knowing that's the potter's house, right? Well, yeah. you come in there as a bunch of clay. And if you're asking to step into this greatness, whatever that is, whether it's your money, whether it is a successful relationship, whether it is your home, you're asking to be molded. You're mm -hmm. asking to be pressed, to be pulled, yep. to have water thrown. And then you're going to go into the fire because I got to make sure that you got it. Right? Absolutely. But in order to do that, there is a power or a, a weight of shame that we carry. Talk to me about it, the power of it, and the result of releasing it. First of all, do you know who Brene Brown is? Every, you know what? Everybody's been telling me to check her out. I don't know fully, but everybody's been telling me to check her out. So Brene Brown is like a special, she's a specialist in shame, right? Mm. Um, and I actually did a video, it's a video clip of me um, actually working with some young men at a university and I was speaking about shame and vulnerability and she loved them. She retweeted the tweet. So that's like my, yeah, she, she loved it. But one of the things I think with shame is the dangerous aspect of shame is that it becomes an identity mm. and not an, ex, it, not an experience, but it becomes an identity. And I think that's the danger of it is that unconsciously and subconsciously we are taking on whatever it is that we're experiencing as who we are and not something that we are experiencing. And that's the distinction. You have to be able to say like, this is not who I am and I will not allow this to become my identity. I will not embody this because this is not me. 
this is an experience. This is something that I'm working through, but I'm not taking that on as an identity. And that's one of the biggest things that I had to do was say like, you know what, Purvis, there's nothing to be shamed about. You was molested. This and this and that happened to you, but that ain't who you are. That was never who you are. I had to have that come to Jesus moment. I'd be like, yo, that's not who you are, bro. So I had to remove, I had to stop embodying myself in that and looking at it and putting it off to where it needed to be. So I think the, 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 the biggest challenge is understanding that that's not your identity. That's the biggest part of shame is that we, we embody it. That's the thing. It's like, what's that, what's that movie, The Body Snatchers? It's like shame comes and snatches our body up and, we're, and now we're ashamed. Right. You can't do that. You can't embody it. Can't do that. Um, another thing that you did talk about is that, um, you know, even in this process, while, you know, some may say it's like a weakness to come forth and to say what different things that happened to you, but there is a sense of bravery because it's like, you Absolutely. know, while it is a lot of bravery, there's a penalty for that. And you talked about that a little bit in your book. Can you tell us more? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's penalty, like, you know, your family, <laughs> your family may be like, why are you telling that? Why you, you know, why are you embarrassing us? Why are you not keeping, you know, family, family business, family business? Um, there's also perception in how people, how people perceive you. Like there may be in me saying like, yo, I've been molested. There, there are definitely women who are just like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with no man who's been molested. You know what I mean? And there could be like, people can use it as weaknesses against you. There's so many penalties that can be used against you when you are vulnerable. But, and I always want to make sure that I lay that out. I also want to show the, the the strengths of it. Like I I I sleep well at night. Hello, somebody. You know what I mean? Like I, I sleep well at night. I have you know on a good day, I'm literally levitating. You you understand what I'm saying? Like I'm I I have I don't I don't walk around with a heaviness or a weightiness to me. And and that's not that's not to brag. It's literally because I don't have a problem being vulnerable. Mm. I don't have a problem sharing that because vulnerability is a strength. Mm. Now, I'm judicious about who I'm vulnerable with and what I'm vulnerable about. Come on, discernment. That's the discernment. I know I can tell my therapist anything. I see a therapist regularly. I have to because of the work that I do. And I can't tell you to see a therapist if I myself aren't, aren't doing that as well. And so like, I definitely know who are the safe spaces. I've identified those people who can handle the real, real, real. I identify those people who can handle like level two. I've identified people who can level, handle level 10, but there is a power. There's a bravery in confessing what you're going through because can't nobody use it against me. You can't, you can't beat me with my own truth. You can't beat me with my own truth stick. I gave you the stick. Like you can't. And, and here's the yeah. thing, too. I think it's interesting when you talk about fear and things like that. We fear what we do not see. Yeah. But if I acknowledge, I accept, I articulate, and now I'm in a transformation process of alchemy. Yeah. Whom shall I fear? Yes. And that's a power yes. to know that I stand. And I think, you know, just thinking of this survival mode, it just reminds me of that tree. That tree that's standing and my roots are so thick because I did the healing. I did the transformation and I'm sucking on my nutrients. That's why I'm thriving. I weather the storm. Thank you, Purvis. <laughs> and I will continue to weather because I weathered the last storm. I will weather the next one. And that's the thing, too. It's like it's an ongoing process. So, again, that's why I haven't arrived anywhere. Mm. And so, like, 
it is new levels, but the new levels, those A's still stay the same. There's new levels as you achieve in life. There's new things. There's new pressures. There's new problems. There's new things as human beings like that. That's just part of the journey. But one thing I know for sure is that thriving and being whole is my birthright. And and once I've experienced that, you can't tell me anything different. So that's that's what's different. Thank you. I keep saying thank you because I need to see more people like you. That's in the whole thing of being a vessel and just healing. I know there's tons more, but as many more people, I can use that platform because I need to shed this light. This is a healing movement. And, and, you know, it's just amazing how this dream with vitamin D is just launching this year of 2020 of just honing in on that vision. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a part of my dream. I appreciate you. Oh, my God. Can I tell you, though, honestly, like you are masterful at asking questions. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much. You're very masterful at asking asking questions and really um, bringing your your interviewee in. Yes. Shimmy, shimmy one time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just want to I just I just I love to celebrate. I love to highlight with what people do well like that's just me so and I think you really don't bad it so. thank you so much that was a seed that you planted in me so thank you and and for anybody that is listening and they want to know more they want to get a copy of your book they want tell us what would we follow you what's coming next they want to stay connected Oh, thank you. Um, so if you would like to stay connected, um, you can go to my website, so thriveamode.com. Um, also, you can follow me on social media at Purvis Taylor on all platforms. I just been verified, y'all. <laughs> verified in the building. <laughs> uh, if you want to get copies of the book, you can get it off survivalmode.com as well as amazon.com. Awesome. And, 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 and what I have coming next... Um, just doing more talks. Um, I've, you know, I've been guest lecturing at university, so that's new. That's awesome. So doing more of that and um, hopefully going across international waters. Um, people want me to come over to, to London town to, to do some survival mode workshops and whatnot. So. Okay. And, and, and just lastly, if you could leave our audience or in, ain't no audience, people that's in the room with us, that's in our company, our kinfolk, yeah. if you can leave them yeah. with a, a dose of vitamin D. Whether it just be a quote, something to remember. The floor is yours. So there's a slot in the world history for each and every one of us, either as a world changer or someone who watched the world change. Choose. There it is. Thank you, Purvis. Many blessings. Thank you. You know what? I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. It is always so refreshing to speak with someone who is invested in changing and improving the lives of young people by doing so with opening the door to their own. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't it about being our brothers and our sister's keeper? But I'll tell you what it's also about. It's about honoring and acknowledging that you are your greatest asset. And if you don't have self together, I don't care what you touch, nothing will be together because everything's an extension of you. Think about it. Every day you walk out the house, it's not part of you that goes, it's all of you. And I had to learn that this year and getting the vision with my life. I grew up in a household of clutter. My mother was a hoarder. That is a shame that I've carried my entire life where people were not allowed in. So that means covering things up. That means now allowing room for new things. Well, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. 
I'm cutting on the light and I'm making room. And I want you to make room with yourself. See the good, see the bad, see the indifferent and embrace it all because all of it makes you who you are. You're not responsible for what happened to you in your childhood. But as an adult, you're responsible for your emotional and your physical health. That's survival right there. And if you enjoyed this conversation and you would like to get a copy of Purvis's new book, Survival Mode, you can do so by checking out the website, survivalmode.com. You can also find him on social media at Purvis Taylor on Instagram and Twitter. As always, you can catch us here in your phone or whichever smart device you may be listening from every Monday with more inspiring conversations and insights. And if you're looking to get even more vitamin D in your life, you can follow me at Dawn Day Speaks on all social media. That's Dawn D-A-I Speaks. Okay, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And until next time, always remember, you are your greatest asset.